Hi, my name is Yasmin Tarehi, and this is Startup Confessionals, where we interview startup founders and entrepreneurs in the Middle East and Africa. We'll learn about some of the biggest lessons these founders discovered on their journey from the personal to the professional and share how they keep themselves motivated. Today's episode is with Jalil El-Lebedi, who co-founded Atibi in 2011 with a mission to provide accessible healthcare to everyone. During the past eight years, Atibi has grown to become the largest digital health provider in the Arab world with 2 million plus pages of content, 24-7 telehealth service in 12 Arab countries, and 500,000 daily users. So I'm so excited to welcome Jalil to the show. Welcome, Jalil. Hi, Yasmin. So, Jalil, can you, uh, let me actually say your name, Jalil, can you briefly share the value proposition of Atabi in your words with our audience? Sure, of course. So with Atabi, we aim to cover the entire patient journey end-to-end when it comes to healthcare. Um, so our motto is better health for all, and we uh, strive to to work on providing the information, the necessary information, and the right connectivity with doctors uh, along their uh, health journey in order to provide better quality at much more affordable prices than what is available in the market today. So, uh, Jalil, can you actually walk us through what the product looks like? So if I was to log on today, um, would I be able to search for doctors or um, medical providers for specific um, categories? Like, how does it work exactly? Can you walk us through that? Sure. Uh, Yes, you can look for providers, but not only that. You can actually search for anything related to um, any symptoms, treatments, conditions. Uh, think about it as a WebMD for uh, in Arabic language. So you can look for anything related to healthcare, uh, whether that is a condition, a symptom, etc., or a healthcare provider, hospital, or uh, you know pharmacy around you, etc. All of that on on the website. Uh, then, if you want to talk to a doctor right away, you can actually uh, have a consultation with a primary care physician. In under three minutes, uh, you can get uh, you get on a call with this with this physician and have a twenty minutes conversation. You can attach your you know any pictures, uh, tests, lab tests, etc. To to you know to uh, uh, to aid the conversation. At the end of that conversation, you get a memo from a doctor, uh, you know, telling you the diagnosis, the treatment that is required, the next steps, and if, uh, for example. You'd need a secondary opinion from a specialist doctor. Then we recommend specialist doctors with whom you can book an appointment, whether that is a virtual or a physical appointment. And uh, if you end up going to that or talking to that specialist, uh, in most cases, that specialist is using our clinic management system at their end, uh, so that all that data is again uh, recorded and logged at. Uh, at every single touch point of that uh, journey. And we are building on top of that to start predicting and advising you for the next steps and how to manage your health going forward. Wow. So it's kind of like a end-to-end solution for a, you know anyone who really is interested in, in medical care or has any questions. So it could be something very simple to something much more complex. Um, wow. And so I imagine that the the business did very well during, during the COVID pandemic, at least the height of it? Yes. Uh, I mean, uh, we were proud to be able to help in uh, 
uh, in multiple locations. So basically, we uh, we ended up uh, working with the government of Jordan, with the Ministry of Health, to provide a 24-7 COVID hotline that we're serving uh, close to 20,000 consultations every day uh, for people who, who needed to know and or even diagnose for COVID at certain points when, you know, they, the crisis was at peak. And uh, to help alleviate the pressure on the on the public uh, health infrastructure, we did the same. Then in Egypt, so we we still are running the 105 COVID hotline in Egypt, and there the peaks reached close to 30 or 40 thousand uh, consultations per day. And uh, yeah, we've been helping in both cases, and uh, we thankfully. I think we we supported more than three million people throughout the crisis for so far. Wow. Wow. Amazing. Wow. That's incredible. So do people have to um, subscribe or pay to be on the platform? Is that how it works? Or do you only pay once you um, get services from a medical provider? Uh, yeah, it is a subscription-based service when uh, you want to get a conver- get on a conversation with a specialist. It's uh, it's still very affordable. We're talking about an average of five dollars a month to get unlimited telehealth primary primary telehealth consultation with physicians, twenty-four-seven. Wow! Wow! Amazing! Amazing! So, Jadila, can you tell us why you started this company? Can you like walk through, you know, how it changed from where it was eight years ago to where it is today, and really just your your reason for for starting uh, Atlebi? Uh, yeah, it is uh, not the traditional story of uh, of a company because it actually started as a book. Uh, so, my father is a surgeon and. Uh, he uh, he used to work in uh, refugee camps around the region, providing uh, medical services. And one of the things that really kept striking him is that people have very little knowledge about how to manage their health in this part of the world. There's very little education or information around to help people manage their healthcare. And there's a lot of reliance on the healthcare providers, which are lacking in the first place. And and that's why he started writing a medical a medical dictionary uh, because the first problem we have in this part of the world is that medical education is still in English. So even if the patient reaches the doctor, the doctor is actually taught in English and is incapable of relaying the right message. That So my father thought that was the primary problem to solve and he he wrote the first Arabic Arabic medical uh, dictionary. Uh, and of course that went into libraries and universities and then uh, uh, we had that conversation once of how to spread that knowledge. How do we get it to into people's hands and really help people manage their their health? And that's when we decided to take this whole thing online. And I took over and I started a company to do that, putting all this content online and and building that knowledge base or offering that knowledge base for free to people around the around the Arab world. Today we have more than 650,000 unique people visiting this website and gaining from this knowledge every single day. And it's so beautiful to hear the context and the backstory from your father um, and how that it probably made it a lot easier to start indexing some of the pages online, right, right to make it much more accessible. Right. Wow. So, and you said that you are in um, 12, is it 12 Arab countries right now? 
And um, just curious, are you planning to expand to other markets or predominantly just uh, in the Middle East? And if so, are you planning to expand to the other countries in the Middle East? Definitely. We Today we are covering about 14 countries in uh, in the Middle East. And our plan is to expand uh, to cover the rest of North Africa. Uh, so far we reach only as far as Libya. So we want to cover Tunisia, Algeria, Morocco, etc. And, and uh, provide our services in those countries. Uh, and then after that, the plan is to expand beyond the Arab world. Uh, we think this is a problem that ext- uh, that is uh, not only an Arab world problem or a MENA problem, it is an emerging markets problem. So we want to expand that to uh, to provide our services in sub-Saharan Africa and uh, Pakistan and other countries in this part of the world. So, uh, Jalil, um, how, you know, when you're kind of building a company, I imagine there's many stages and a lot of roadblocks and challenges along the way. And so I'm really curious to hear about some of the biggest moments uh, of adversity or some of the biggest challenges that you've had over the last eight years and how you were able to overcome it. I think for a lot of people who are interested in starting companies, um, I think they really want to hear what those moments are like and how to stay resilient um, in the moments of challenges? Yeah, this is a tough question in, in, in per se, uh, <laughs> because most of what people hear about when they hear about startups is, you know, the glamorous, all the glamorous news, you know, the IPOs and the buyouts, et cetera, but they don't realize how much uh, how much effort is in there uh, and sleepless nights uh, until, you know, we reach any, any milestone. Uh, so yeah, I don't know where to start, but yeah, it's it has been uh, it's been a tough journey from day one. Uh, so since I decided to start this company, it meant that I have to, uh, you know, leave a secure job, leave stability, and really uh, embark on a journey of which I knew nothing. And uh, I uh, I had to take that leap of faith. Uh, it it was it, it what always helps in these decisions and moments is uh, kind of a naive uh, kind of optimism. You know, you keep being optimistic, even in the dark night, sleepless nights. And even if you're facing all the adversaries, it's just, you keep believing it will get better. That's that's the only way you get through. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Wow. And how, and I can imagine that, you know, the challenges are changing and they're probably very different depending on the stage of the company that you're in, right? Like, in the beginning, there might be more focus on product. Later on, more focus on human capital management. But I'm really curious, like how how things changed in your mind since you raised your first round, and also how did you start the company? Were you bootstrapping? Uh, or you know, how did it start? Yeah, it, it, we started it bootstrapping. It, uh, we uh, we really bootstrapped for five years, or bootstrap meaning that we lived off. Uh, our own revenues, <laughs> not uh, uh, raising any money. Uh, we relied on advertising and partnerships, and then we uh, decided to to uh, launch our primary care telehealth. And for that, we had to take another leap of faith and really stop all kinds of advertising because we thought there were there were a distraction. And that's when we decided to take on our first round of investment and and get into that other new journey uh, of investors and shareholders and all of that. Uh, so yeah, definitely different uh, moments, different challenges uh, along the way. 
at the very beginning, push strapping was super, super tough. It still is tough, but it was even tougher back then when we started. Uh, and I remember the toughest part was actually convincing uh, my tech co-founder to join uh, at the very beginning. That was a super <laughs> tough thing because I had nothing. I just had the content I am taking from my father's dictionary and uh, I had no track record in doing anything related to tech and I had to convince someone to jump in, take uh, you know uh, a, a lower salary than whatever he or she is taking out, outside there and convince them to join in. So yeah, that was the first real problem. It took me a while to get someone on board. <laughs> so fascinating. And Julia, what do you think, you know, looking back, you learned the most about yourself in this journey? I think a lot of people talk about the destination, you know, where you are today. But I think what's interesting is like the person you became on this journey. So I'm just curious, like, what did you learn about yourself? I learned um, way uh, to become way wiser than when I started. I can tell you that. <laughs> you know, you you take things with more philosophy, less personal. Um, you and you you. Uh, I I discovered I am actually more resilient than I thought at the beginning. Um, I'm I'm still here. I'm still standing, uh, and I would not have expected this of myself at the beginning. And uh, Julia, how do you, I want to take it back to the product itself now, because I think um, something we have not talked about is like how to work with your customers, right? So you have all these customers, it's almost like a two-sided marketplace. So you've got the, the medical service providers but you've, and the specialists, but you've also got these uh, customers who are anyone who has any kind of medical ailment, pretty much any human being. <laughs> Um, and so how do you develop a relationship with your customers? Like how have you developed this relationship? Is it just primarily focused on giving them really great customer service? Like what has been your philosophy, you know, working with customers? Do you have focus groups? Um, do you, you know, how do you get feedback for, for how you want to change the, the product roadmap with them as well? Uh, super interesting question. Um, there are so many ways of getting feedback from uh, from customers. Of course, surveys and focus groups, and even just randomly calling on people and asking them about their experience. You know, after a consultation, the ratings of consultations, ratings even on the content pages. Uh, so there are so many ways of getting that feedback. Um, and yet I find the most relevant ones, uh, most relevant feedback coming in the form of usage. If you see people are, see people are coming to uh, using your service, people are coming back to your service, uh, then you realize you're doing something right. Uh, these are This is the most important thing. And then of course you wanna manage, you wanna understand if there are failure points or even more successful touch points you want to build and focus on the failure points where you want to improve. Of course, it's all important, but the most important thing is are people using the service? Are people coming back to the service or not? Mm, got it. Got it. And, you know, the I always um, measure the, the product success based on what already exists in the market at the time, right? And so what has been the alternative for people? Obviously going straight to the doctor themselves, like in person is the, I guess, main alternative. But 
Are there other companies that are doing what you guys are doing? It seems like just from, you know, my very <laughs> basic knowledge, there's some companies that are doing tele telemedicine, but not the content discovery piece. The, I don't know anyone that has been able to index an Arab, Arabic medical journal, uh, dictionary. So yeah, so I'm just um, curious about that. Uh, so actually, when we started the primary care telehealth in this region, nobody else was doing it. So we are, we actually created this market here, and now there are close to 10 other companies doing it. Uh, but the, the scale is quite different in terms of numbers of consultations and reach. Uh, but we don't look at that as um, you know an alternative because the pie is still too narrow to think about that. But the alternative is actually... Uh, those, as you mentioned, uh, those visits to the hospitals or clinics that are actually, uh, that could be replaced by a telehealth or telemedicine uh, consultation. Uh, and that's where I see the biggest, you know, waste of uh, of uh, money, of potential, of time, and even of uh, of effort for the for the public infrastructure, uh, healthcare infrastructure. Governments are always under pressure to keep building hospitals and hire doctors, which I believe, uh, and the data shows, uh, is actually uh, unnecessary. We can replace a lot of that with telehealth and telemedicine. This is what we are actually striving to replace. Mm, yeah, yeah. I love that. I mean, I think it's so spot on because there's been so many medical visits where I don't think the doctor has, you know, touched me even <laughs> once. <laughs> it's all been a conversation. And I, you know, sort of think to myself, wow, I'm, I don't know why I came here. Um, so I love that. And I think I want to also um, double click on something you mentioned very early on about your product. You said that it, to me, it, this is like this end to end solution. And I think the data piece, like being able to like, see trends over time and also, you know, help customers understand a little bit about their journey. Because I think so many of us, we we don't really know what's happening with our health, right? Like some of us go to, to a doctor once a year. Uh, some of us don't go to a doctor at all. Like we wait until something happens until we go to a doctor. And I think what's interesting is that no one's really paying attention to the, like we, we, we count the steps that we walk every day, but we do not, you know, have any interest in, or, you know, capturing the data of our, of our health. And I think the, the, the fact that you guys have built that has been so interesting to me. Um, cause I, I think that a lot of companies in the U S haven't been able to do that to unify data across the board. Um, and to show people like, hey, this is, this is the journey that you've been on. And these are all the data points that you should be aware of. Right, some sort of pre even predictive capability. It is really tough, actually, especially in developed markets like the U.S. That's the irony, of course, because in the U.S., most of the healthcare ecosystem is actually already digitized, and it's very hard to connect these dots. Because when you digitize, you're digitizing it in your own form, your own formats, your own templates, and it becomes really hard to connect with other pieces. So uh, we have this advantage in this part of the world, which is that. Most of the healthcare ecosystem is still undigitized. It's still pen and paper, which actually gives us that kind of advantage in pushing our solutions and connecting these dots end to end with our own kind of data uh, formats and data protocols uh, along the way and collecting all this data. The, the, the other issue with healthcare is that healthcare is not a transactional thing. It's not 
you know, uh, food ordering. You don't just uh, go to the doctor when you're sick and then uh, and that's it. And the next visit to the doctor is completely independent on the previous one. It's actually the opposite. Each and every single interaction with healthcare is completely dependent on the previous one, and it completely affects your your next one. Uh, if you if we succeed in collecting these touch points, we can start predicting what would happen next and start affecting those decisions of the future and helping reduce those future, let's say, problems coming forward. This is where the beauty of, of data is. Mm, got it. And this is why it's so important in healthcare versus any other industry. Yeah. Yeah. It's like building on top of what happened before. And yeah, it's interesting that, um, you know, your market is much more ripe for that. So um, so Jaleel, I want to switch gears and talk a little bit about uh, the people that influenced you on this path. You know, was there a person, a mentor, could be a partner, family that really kind of held you um, to your highest standard, let's say, for you to keep going? I, I always think like, it's so funny. We talk about founder stories, but I think a lot of founder stories actually have family <laughs> stories behind them where, you know, the full, the family is like really involved in supporting um, the founder. So I'm just, you know, curious, like, has there been a mentor or a person that really helped um, you stay the course on this journey? Uh, I mean, definitely I'd start with my father. <laughs> He's uh, the original inspiration behind the whole thing. He, he kind of instilled this, you know, uh, love of of creating a, a real change in the world, uh, and and uh, I kind of feel uh, I owe him this every single day. Uh, so that that's a primary thing. And then another uh, inspiration, yes, of course, it's my mother who actually started joined a startup manufacturing company a long time ago. And uh, she was part in creating one of the greatest success stories in the Arab world, which is the largest uh, Arabic pharmaceutical manufacturing company. And that always remained as an inspiration, you know, witnessing that growth of that company since I was a kid, you know, going with my mother to the office and seeing how she does that, how, how dedicated and passionate about her work. And, and the founder of that company who actually also believed in creating something big and impactful out of this part of the world. Uh, that really, really kind of shaped my way of looking at things. I, I still want to and dream of making it to be a real success story that has real impact on the lives of people in this part of the world. Wow, that's so inspiring. That's amazing. Two powerhouse uh, parents. <laughs> that's amazing. Wow. And Julia, is there um, a book or something that you're, you're reading now that has deeply inspired you? Could be a book that you read, you know, even five, 10 years ago. But yeah, I'm just curious if there's anything that's, uh, that you remember that has inspired you, an author or person. Uh, I read a lot, by the way, Yasmin. So this is a very challenging. <laughs> but the book that I just read uh, last month, and it's still, you know, I'm still dreaming and thinking about it is, is factfulness. 
uh, really kind of it, it kind of uh, shook a lot of my beliefs. So I I love that book. Julia, is it is it called Tactfulness or Factfulness? What was Factfulness. it called? Factfulness. Factfulness. Oh, oh, got it, got it. Okay, I would love to hear more about that book. And you, you were about to share others, so I apologize. Uh, no, I mean this is the the, the one uh, I am reading now. Uh, uh, disrupt, disruptive crea- uh, creation. So this is uh, another another uh, book that is actually I'm 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 struggling with because it has a lot of new concepts. So I'm I'm looking at it. Uh, I'm uh, I'm <laughs> in it right now. So I can tell you about it in a month's time. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. So factfulness, disruptive creation, create was it disruptive creation? Yeah, and then. Um, okay, so we'll look at those two books. I, I love asking this question because I often will buy the book <laughs> based on your recommendation. So, yeah. Uh, Factfulness is a good one, that's actually. Yeah, you should. You should try that. Okay. What is it about? Just like high level? Do you can share with us? Uh, it is about how to uh, look for facts in, uh, and and uh, make decisions based on facts. Because we rea- I mean, by reading that book, I realized that we make a lot of decisions based on perceptions and based on on uh, kind of uh, uh, un, unbased uh, unbased is that the word you know unbased facts uh, we, we we assume uh, that this is the way it is and uh, in reality it's not and if you dig deeper and you realize the facts are completely different and and it's kind of inspiring when you think about it that way mm, yeah yeah the unconscious uh, kind of you know, beliefs that we have about so many things. Okay. I will definitely check that out. (laughs) Amazing. Amazing. Uh, Jadil, what is your main takeaway that you want to share with our audience? If you could tell the world anything, what would it be? Wow. (laughs) (laughs) It could be like on motivation. It could just be on like, what would you tell maybe people who are starting their own company, people who are interested in starting a company or even working for a, a startup? Uh, it could be about health, like just anything that's sort of like your main takeaway. What would you tell your children? <laughs> As like a... <laughs> Yeah. The, the honest truth, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> Don't I, do it. I remember my no, father uh, when, I, when I was a kid. You know, you always look after your your parents. You you want to become like them. And I remember I once told my father I w- I wanted to become a doctor, and he was like, "No, you never want to do that. It's not fun. Let <laughs> even think about it." So I might be telling my kids the same one day. Uh, but yeah, I actually I do love what I do. I I do love having created, I do love every single day waking up to the thought that I am in a position to actually work on my dream and uh, and have in my hands the power to do it. Uh, you know, I, and I want to succeed at it. So uh, through throughout the sleepless nights, difficult days, successes, this is what always keeps me going. And if I want to tell anyone about who is starting a company, uh, anything I would tell them that it is not easy. It is really not easy. Don't be, don't get fooled with, you know, the headlines and the glamour around that. It's completely unglamorous. Uh, but it is super, super, super fun to feel in power of doing the thing that you 
the one to do. Mm, amazing. That's really powerful. <laughs> Thank you so much, Jalila. I really, really appreciate that. So we are wrapping up, but um, I'm so grateful for your time, Jalil. And can you point folks to resources, website where they can learn more about you and Atsabi, how to get involved and anything else that we could support you with? Thank you, Yasmin. Uh, yeah, I mean, you can reach out on LinkedIn. I'm there. Uh, our website is altibi.com and there you can find the contact information. You can always reach out and uh, we are ready to to listen to feedback uh, and listen to ideas, suggestions, anything. I'm happy, happy to, to talk to anyone. Amazing. Amazing. Okay. And we'll leave all the links in the show notes as well. Thank you very much. So thank you. Thank you so much for your time. And for our audience, thanks for joining and for listening to Startup Confessionals.